Happy Sabbath, church family, family of God. How's everybody doing today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Before I begin with my message, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning we are here to worship you, the Almighty. You have shown us your strength. We, you have shown us your deliverance. And now, Lord, we pray that you will continue to do this in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our Lord, or our God, is the God who delivers. You know, I thought of a text. Mary was going to have a baby boy. And we find in Matthew chapter 1. And verse 21. It says, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. You know, another word for delivery could be save or rescue. We all need to be rescued from this world, right? We all need to be rescued. And verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see many times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when God was with those, the patriarchs, the prophets. And there was one prophet, patriarch, Preacher, if you will. His name is Noah. We know Noah because he lived in that pre flood. We call it antediluvian age, and it was the pre flood. And if you want to follow the story, I would like to read a few texts found in the book of Genesis, chapter 7. I think this is a wonderful example of God delivering. God didn't have to do that, but God, in his plan of redemption, plan of salvation, promised, and we know something about God's promises, they all come to pass for those who trust him and love him. Genesis 7, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark that you have, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. An earlier text says, says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know it's wonderful to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. He had grace for Noah. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal. Well, all the animals, it says that everything alive at that time went into the ark. And for a long time, Noah preached that there would be a flood. Nobody believed him. Nobody believed him. 
except for his wife, his sons, and his daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law. And I, I skip over to verse 17. It says, For 40 days the flood kept coming on the, the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. I don't know about you, but that would pretty much scare me. Sitting inside, maybe dark. I don't think it would be safe to have any light that might catch fire anywhere. And having that ark just bob up and down in the swells of that ocean by now. The rain falling for 40 days and 40 nights. That's never happened to that great extent that any of us know about. God promised this would be the only time he would destroy everything. You know, that shows God's grace to Noah and his family, and it shows his deliverance. Verse 20 tells us, The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. The highest mountain, the highest hill, whatever it was that this flood had created mountains, it covered everything by 20 feet. I think Noah, he appreciated that he was delivered by God and all of his family as well. You know, when we're not sure about God delivering us, let's take a look at Noah and the faith that Noah had. We have this other wonderful story that uh, Jedediah read for us, found in Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds a statue a very tall statue, and it's gold. And he has everybody there on the plains of Dura. And they were told to worship this statue who was also representing Nebuchadnezzar. And they were told to bow down, kneel down, and when the music stopped, everybody but three knelt down. That infuriated Nebuchadnezzar. He said, maybe you didn't hear what I said. I'll give you one more chance. And you know, I have a furnace that you, I've told you about. I'm going to throw you into this furnace if you don't bow down. And I'm going to turn the heat up just, just in case you think I'm kidding. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they heard the first time. And they heard the second time. And they heard the, the music stop, and yet they stood. And Shad, Shad, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And the three young men, they were probably about teenage, maybe a little older, but they weren't that old. But they learned that God is a God who delivers. And their answer was, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us, save us, or rescue us. And he will do that for us. Verse 18 tells us, 
But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I bet those young men were afraid. But they knew their God was a God who delivers. You know, God delivers in many ways. Someday he is going to deliver us from all sin and all the corruption on this earth if we only be true to him. They did not worship Nebuchadnezzar. They worshiped God. And the first commandment tells us, tells us, thou shall have no other gods. And how to include Nebuchadnezzar and every other king besides that. So when they were thrown in, they were tied up first. And three of the king's men, they were big and healthy. They, they pushed them off to the fiery furnace and they died in, in that obeying Nebuchadnezzar to push those three young men in. Their, their uh, ropes were burnt, but not one hair was singed. None of their clothing was singed, and of course they were unharmed. And Nebuchadnezzar looked and couldn't believe it. He looked in there and he says, I see there are four men walking in this fire. They're unbound, they're unarmed, and the fourth one looks like, uh, yeah, it looks like this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar says, a son of the gods, but he meant the son of God. I know you all know who the son of God is. Jesus, he is our deliverer. He's our rescuer. You know, when I was thinking of these notes that I was writing for the message today, I was thinking about those who rescue, those who save, those who respond. They are the ones who respond first before anybody else. You know, when I think of the tragedy that happened some 20 years ago in New York City, most of us here know what happened on that day. The Twin Towers blew up, fell to the ground. You know, that was very tragic. But these first responders, they'd be the firemen, the police, those that were emergency medical, uh, you know, those who were trained in that. And they walked up so many flights of stairs to get and save as many as they could out of that burning, collapsing building. And I dare say that that building inside was probably near as hot as that furnace that Nebuchadnezzar had. You know, the airplanes, they, they run on this fuel that when it burns, it is very hot. And it was burning metal inside the buildings. Other responders I think of, you know, last year we had a number of wildfires up here in the mountains. You all remember that, right? Wildfires. And who responded first? It was all the fire departments of all the cities down below. Because we only have, what, one here in Crestline, maybe one in, in Lake Arrowhead. That's not enough. Not near enough. So they all responded as soon as they could. And they worked hour after hour trying to save trees, the forests. 
and people like us who live in the forests. Other first responders I think of are those that are working in the emergency room and hospitals. When people come to them because they're sick or injured and, and they're maybe near death, who's there to respond to them first in their needs of getting well again and saving them and delivering them? You know, I can tell that those first responders, in order for them to do a job that they should do, they need to be near to God. They need to be near Jesus. Why would they do that? What would their motive be? It is Jesus in them that is doing this. So I haven't forgotten police, sheriffs, marshals. They're peace officers first. And they took a hit the last year or so. People, there were some who demonized all of them when it was a very, very few. So they're the first response when there is mayhem going on, when buildings and cities are burning. Who is it that comes out or should come out? It's the police and sometimes the National Guard. They're the first responders. And you know, people that have boats that are sinking in the ocean, the Coast Guard goes out. They're the, they're the first line of responders that come out trying to save their fellow human beings. First response. You know what? Our real first responder is Jesus. Amen. He has set a plan in motion before creation so that we may have everlasting life. So when we think of a deliverer, we need to think of Jesus who delivers us from evil. And that's in our the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples and, and all of us. What does he say that we should pray for? To deliver us from evil. From evil. From all evil. You know, there's another wonderful deliverance of Jesus delivering his people. Now, I know that there's more than one place, but the place I'm looking at is children of Israel. They were slaves in Egypt. You know how long they were slaves? 400 years. You know it had to go through one, two, three, four, five, I don't know how many generations. And I don't know how long people lived there, but they weren't living that long. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 14. You know, when the Pharaoh decided to let Israel go, to let the children of Israel, the blessed nation of God, to let them go, the tenth plague had really hit very close to home. The Pharaoh's son died in that 10th plague. And so, you know, in a moment of weakness, he says, oh, just let them go. And I guess somebody, Moses, he said, well, we, we worked all this long time. We need to have silver and gold and cattle. 
and we need to leave with all of that. And you know what? It happened. They were able to do that. But they only got a little, not that far, out of Egypt, and they ran into an ocean, an inland ocean. The Red Sea, I guess it's red because of the reeds that live in there. You look at it and you go, this sea is not like the blue that we're used to. It's red. And that was a shortcut. If they had to go around, it would be too long. But they were just thinking that they're trapped there because they could see that the Pharaoh sent the, the Egyptian army down uh, towards Israel and they were coming fast. They could travel fast. They had chariots. They had horses. And they could travel much faster than Israel. They were afraid. And they were screaming, Moses, what are you going to do? Well, it's not what Moses was going to do. It was what God was doing. He sent a cloud that was so, so thick that they couldn't see through and they didn't know where Israel was. And for a long time, that cloud was up there protecting, delivering the children of Israel. And then, of course, we know when the Red Sea parted, Moses put his staff out. And uh, God, in his almighty power, he set the waves aside so that there was a dry bed of sand and it took them a long time to cross it there were thousands and thousands of Israelites crossing and when they got across they noticed that the Egyptian army was following them and again they were afraid uh oh they're going to catch us but when the armies got halfway there we know what happened God delivered his people Again, God was there. He showed up. He was the first responder. It wasn't Moses. It was God and his power. Moses, in verse 13 of Exodus 14, says, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. Well, that means that if you're never going to see them again, they're meeting their demise in the waters of the Red Sea. And they couldn't get out fast enough. They all drowned. And verse 14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, I want to tell you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood still like as if they were in a, a tension. And they were basically giving God the glory. Verse 29 and 30 wraps it up kind of. This Red Sea. Um, I guess you could say the miracle of the Almighty God delivering Israel. The Israelites went through the, the sea on dry land with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved, delivered, rescued Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore and verse 31 when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians 
The, Lord, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. You know, that's where it should lead to, trust when he's delivered and saved by his mighty power. But for Israel, the trust only lasted for a while. Another incident of God showing up. He's our first responder in everything. You know, when we know the will of God, when we listen, Moses was constantly saying, listen to the Lord, hearken, listen to what he has to say. When we listen to the Lord, we actually know and we can know intimately the one who rescues, delivers, and saves. We can know Jesus. Jesus wants us to know him. He wants to get to know us. He wants to get to know us. And he, he really is the lover of our souls. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Yes, he's the first responder. He's the one that delivers. He's the one that saves. In Daniel 6, we have another wonderful story of God's deliverance. I know you know this story very well. But it's not, it's not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's the faithful prophet Daniel. Daniel, you know, was a man of God, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And his enemies saw that's his weakness. He's praying. We'll go to the King Darius and tell Darius, you need to put out a decree making it not legal for anyone to pray to another god but to you, King Darius. And they caught him praying there in the wide open window. And so the king, he didn't want to, but he had to because he put his, the seal on that decree. And as the king, he had to follow it all the way through. Let's take a look at Daniel 6, starting with verse 19. The penalty was to be tossed or thrown into a lion's den. I'm telling you, some of these penalties were horrific, just horrible. We know that the king didn't sleep all night, did he? Daniel 6, 19. At the first, actually, I just want to make comment. King didn't sleep all night at all. And so the first thing in the morning at first light, he had his strongest soldiers roll open the door of the lion's den and it says, at first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, 
has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you, deliver you, save you from the lions? The lions, they were angry lions because they hadn't been fed. And they were supposed to eat Daniel, but they didn't. The angels, and I would say Jesus, they shut those lions' mouths so that he was unharmed. And Daniel responded in verse 21, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in God's sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, King Darius. What a wonderful story of deliverance. I don't know if I could have obeyed God under those circumstances. That's tough to be threatened with a punishment that you know was going to be the end of your life. But I tell you what, the faith that we should have is, should be the faith of Daniel, the faith of the martyrs, the faith of Deacon Stephen, our first martyr. God's faithful. We're promised that we will be with him forever. You see, the promise and the fulfillment far outweighs whatever penalty man can do. Paul often said, what more can they do if God be for me than who can be against me? They can take my mortal body, but I'm safe in Jesus who holds my eternal life, who holds my soul. And no one can take it. No one can take it. There was another time of deliverance. And finally, I come to um, a faithful woman in the Bible. You know, she was the queen. The queen. Xerxes' queen. And enemies of the Hebrew nation... They sought to kill Esther. They were jealous. And all her people, all her people, Esther was there, and it seems like she only had one person on her side. Actually, it was two people. Of course, the first is Jesus. The other one was a cousin named Mordecai, and Mordecai said to Esther, Esther 4, verse 14. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come into this royal position as the queen for such a time as this. I would like to say, O Christian, O um, follower of Jesus, who's picked up their cross and is following him, for such a time has come for you to share the gospel so that Jesus will come sooner rather than later. We know he's coming soon, but just how soon is he coming? Well, we know the end of this story. Mordecai, his Hebrew nation, God's Hebrew nation, Esther, they were saved because 
she went into the king at she could have been you know put to death for that even the queen and and you know she requested we'll take a look at uh, verse uh, chapter 7 and verse 3 Esther yeah Well, you know, Mordecai, he had people sacrificing and praying and praying and praying. And here is Esther. She must be afraid of her king. And so Esther said to the king, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request. She already knew that an enemy named Haman had set up gallows outside for, Haman, for um, Mordecai, and he was going to be hung, and there wasn't anything he could do about it except for the king intervened because of Jesus, because of God, and said, you know what, why don't you just take Haman out? Because he wished... Esther, my queen, and all her people to actually be put to death. And that made Xerxes have Haman hung. So Esther and the whole nation of Israel once again is delivered. They're delivered from the Egyptians and now from the Xerxes and his nation uh, I guess the one that took over, um, what nation was that? Um, I don't know, it's where Iran is, I think. Medo-Persia, that's right, the Medes and the Persians. So again, deliverance after deliverance. I don't think we know the full extent of God's power. but We know he has the power to save us and the power to deliver us. I think of some promises of deliverance in the Bible and their reminders of how wonderful God is and how much he delivers us and he continues to deliver his remnant, his remnant faithful followers who obey him, who worship him and follow him. Romans eight twenty eight. You know that message where it says that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purposes? You know, God has a better place for us, better plan than this world. And we're told that all things work together for good when we love God. Did they work together for good for Daniel, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for Esther? Most definitely. Most definitely, it worked for them. You know, the chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, what chapter is that that is, everybody knows it very well? The chapter on faith, Hebrews 11. You know, they're in that chapter for a reason. They all had faith. And what are we told in the Bible? What is it that saves us? God's grace and our faith in his grace to save and to deliver. Amen. A promise that if we take 
and we follow it through, we know that we have a home with him. There's the last three texts, verses in Romans that are right there as far as my favorite. Romans 8, 37, 38, 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even a threat of death will keep us away from our Savior, who is our Deliverer. You know the wonderful promise we find in John 14? We need to hold on to that. We need to cling to it. Think about it over and over and over. Jesus says to us, as well as the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. What a wonderful promise this is. I believe we all believe in that. We have faith and trust that God will deliver us from this world. This world is not a happy place. And no matter how much we strive for happiness, we'll never find the joy of the Lord unless we know the Lord, unless we make Jesus our very, very best friend. I believe this is the greatest rescue and deliverance of all. There can be none other. Yes, and the Lord's Prayer says, deliver us from evil. The Lord will deliver us from all of this evil, from all of the evil in this world. There's a story in Matthew chapter 24 about Christ coming again. Matthew 24, 14, it says to us regarding Jesus coming, it says that this message of the gospel should be preached unto all the world as a witness to every single nation, witnessing to them about Jesus and salvation. The whole gospel, it says that when it's reached everybody, then the time on this earth will end with the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. We should take that to heart. We should believe it with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are told in verse 27 about lightning. You know, lightning is usually like top to bottom. This is side to side. That's a lot of lightning. And when that happens, Jesus is on his way. He is on his way. Matthew chapter 24, verses 30 and 31 
Verse 30, at that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the heavens to the other. God will deliver his people. We should have no question about that. You know, the story of Jesus on the cross is the ultimate deliverance. We can read about that story, Luke 23, 42, and 43. One of the guilty next to Jesus on one side, you know, there were three on Golgotha being crucified. And one of the guilty was standing up for Jesus and basically telling the other thief to hush. I believe this to be the Son of God that's dying in our place. That is awesome delivery. He saved us by giving his own life. He saves us. How wonderful and glorious that is. The response that Jesus gave to a guilty thief who believed was that one day, I don't think he meant right then and there, because if you follow Jesus, you knew that wouldn't be. You follow him in all of his last time before he ascended to his father, that that wouldn't be that day, but someday you will be in paradise with me. You know the words of Christ in the Bible? The word you meant the one he was speaking with. Whether it's disciples promising that he will come again or promising the thief that he will be in paradise. If you put your own name every time Jesus says you in the Bible, he's talking about all of us, you and you and you and you. The last words of, of Jesus to the Apostle Paul when he was on Patmos. Three times he says, Behold, I come quickly. He's coming quickly to deliver us, to save us, to rescue us. Three times, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. In the great controversy, we have a paragraph that talks about our ultimate deliverance. 40th chapter, entitled, God's People Are Delivered. With unutterable love, Jesus welcomes his faithful ones to the joy of their Lord. The Savior's joy is in seeing in the kingdom of glory the souls that have been saved by his agony and humiliation on the cross. And the redeemed will be sharers in his joy as they behold the blessed, those who have been won to Christ through their prayers, their labors, and their loving sacrifice. As they gather around the great white throne, gladness unspeakable will fill their hearts when they behold those whom they have won for Christ and see that one has gained others and still there are those that have gained others that are there in heaven 
around the white throne of God. All brought into the haven of rest, there to lay down their crowns at Jesus' feet and praise him through the endless cycles of eternity. We will put our crowns, we'll take them after we've received them and give them back, so to speak, to Jesus. That's going to be a lot of crowns around Jesus. But it's not us that deserve it. It's Jesus that deserves it. And so, my friends, I often call forever friends. We are God's family. We are his remnant. We know that he saves us. So we need to serve others the way Jesus served others. The God whom we serve delivers you. Remember the word you. You put your own name there. And me and others and family and friends and those who have not yet come to Christ but will be coming to Christ very soon. So let us all Decide today, decide each day that we will follow Christ and he will deliver us from, for his kingdom. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a wonderful Father. And dear Jesus Christ, you are a wonderful deliverer. We cannot thank you enough for your sacrifice for us dying on the cross for us so that we may be with you, not just for a short time, but for all time, forever and ever. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your amazing grace to us. Let us all treat one another the way Jesus treated us. In these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.